Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Time now for the Yahoo Sports College Podcast with Dan Wetzel. These rats are going to have a shrimp boat one day. With their legless rat friend, (laughs) Pete Thamel. Every time I see Brad Stevens around Boston, he's always asking me what's going on in the college scene and, you know, just kind of gossip stuff. And I'm like, man, you got out at the perfect time. And SI's Pat Forty. I was going to say, I I like this documentary better than the last two I've watched (laughs) because you weren't in it. About time we get one that you're not in. Here's Pat, Pete, and Dan. Uh, welcome to a pod. Another week. Another uh, week of solitude. But we did get the Michael Jordan documentary. First two episodes, which uh, for sports fans has to be the biggest thing since the Aaron Hernandez doc, I think. <laughs> <laughs> a lot less handsome sports writers in this uh, one, though, Dan. I, mean, <laughs> I was going to say, I, I like this documentary better than the last two I've watched because you weren't in it. About time we get one that you're not in. Oh man, they could have put me in this. It ain't it ain't gonna outrate that Hernandez. Netflix is too powerful. So they do their little network over there on ESPN. They won't have the same viewers. But that's all right. I'm glad they got their little operation together. <laughs> so uh, you know, I guess uh they got into a lot of his uh college career last night. A lot of Jordan and a lot of um of Pippin. Uh, and their college careers, which I thought was pretty interesting. So maybe we'll discuss it. Everyone's talking about this thing. There were also just some general classic stuff referring to Barack Obama as former Chicago resident. (laughs) 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 Laugh out loud. I also am a former Chicago resident. So (laughs) (laughs) me and Obama, man, just Uh. two peas in a pod. (laughs) I thought they, they also had Bill Clinton on there, and he kind of alluded. He, if you listen real carefully, it kind of sounds like he knew Scottie Pippen when Scottie was at Central Arkansas, but he didn't quite say that. So I'm thinking that's like a, one of those classic definition yeah. of is, is, right? <laughs> well, I'd love to see his ticket stub from the game he went and claimed. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like that would, I, you know, like... It, <laughs> You know, no one mythologizes self like Bill Clinton. God bless him. Uh, Well, you may be the current guy kind of below, like with the things that outraged people over Bill Clinton's (laughs) boastfulness. It's kind of quaint now. Yeah, Yeah. right. That already happened by noon today. (laughs) No kidding. Whether you're a Trump fan or not a Trump, Trump would have been on there being like practically taught 
Pippen out of dribble. <laughs> oh, yeah. I got it. You know, I mean, he's basically glommed on to uh, Tom Brady's career. So, you know, it was it was a quainter time in, in American politics. But, yeah, I, I listened to that quote real carefully. I'm like, I think he's insinuating he was essential because I, too, was living in Arkansas at the time. Like, you know, what are you paying attention to central Arkansas? Anyway, I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, my favorite takeaway, though, was uh, bloodshot eyed Jordan with 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 a glass of either. Uh, I think Rick Pitino had a great tweet today. He said, I didn't know MJ liked to drink ginger ale that much. <laughs> 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 Pretty good, man. When you're yeah. taking when you're taking shots from Pitino, you know, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, the 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 product placement of the tumbler of of whether it's bourbon, scotch, whatever, which which was varying uh, amounts of liquid in it every time, which he, you know it wasn't dropping. just there for show. He was drinking it. <laughs> what the heck, Jordan? You, you think sitting- that'll inspire our uh, collective bosses to maybe think we should be drinking during the podcast for better content? Do you think that could mean, be some, there should be some crossover there? So hey. Dan just takes a sip from his coffee mug and says, well, "Who says I'm not drinking?" Totally <laughs> is coffee. Sure, sure. <laughs> hey, again, sponsorship. See, that's I'm waiting. Like, if this is going to be, if this is Glenn Livet or, or or Jameson or Woodford Reserve or something for the bottle to appear in later episodes, buy the glass. You know, so we'll get the product placement hey, this there. Is- this is MJ. This has got to be like, what's that, old Pappy or whatever? Or what I mean, like Pappy Van Winkle. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this is Jordan's not just grabbing a Glenn Livet, is he? I don't know. I well, first of all, I don't know Scotch. I know bourbon, but I don't know Scotch. So, uh, but I, no, I would. I would, I would think he's drinking off the top collection. Shelf. Yeah, yeah. Part of part of why he resisted doing this is because not. Being in the public eye has turned him into this unbelievable legend. And one of his concerns on this doc was that it was going to make him look like a jerk and actually humanize him too much. And, and I'm not so sure he's not correct because some of it, some of the behavior in the thing, you know, Jerry Krause is an easy guy to, to laugh at. He's a very awkward guy. But, you know, these he's kind of barbs. And I don't think any of us would like to look back and watch a eight hours of video of us 22 years ago. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> no, thank you. Not even two years ago. <laughs> two years. I don't, I'm not sure why I do this podcast. It's fairly <laughs> embarrassing. But that that part's good. And I wonder whether that was the nerves that had him just drinking scotch or whatever. He's ginger ale during the uh, during the, the sit downs. He did three sit downs, they said. I mean, it's a little risky. I mean, I I guess when you're Jordan, it just doesn't matter, you know, but that's the uh, thing. Yeah. At least I I will say this for my many, many uh, incredible appearances in sports documentaries that, you know, I get (laughs) rave reviews for and much mocking. I have never drank during them. (laughs) That was a couple hours of the week that I took very sober and serious. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) <laughs> I, I think the, the the thing that you won't hear ESPN talking about and people sort of uh, dissecting this documentary is a, is a really interesting point, Dan, is that like the reason Jordan never did this stuff is, you know, in terms of documentary, I, I do agree with your point. Like he mythologized himself by stepping away. I, I read your column about the, the pitch meeting that got him there. And I thought that was a that was a wonderful point. Like you have all these people wearing his shoes who never watched him play. 
you know, like he's, and he just there was there's just he became this, you know, greater than life after his career ended. And it was probably like the wisest business strategy. But also like Michael Jordan was a night owl. Michael Jordan was a drinker. Michael Jordan was a gambler. Like these are all things we know anecdotally. If social media had been around when Michael Jordan was there, would we look at Michael Jordan differently? Oh, for sure. And I, you know, that's one thing that they, that was interesting where Jordan, you could tell, was walking a line was when they were talking about the traveling cocaine circus that was the Bulls in 84, 85, I think, or 83, 84. And Jordan said, didn't do coke, didn't do weed, and stopped there, left the rest of the potential. He said uh, he didn't drink at the time. At, didn't drink at the, at the oh, time. Oh, right. yeah. At the time. Yeah, yeah. So uh, how about that? No. How about that thing, though? A Coke, weed, and women party in a hotel room in Peoria. You remember the story? <laughs> yes. It was a preseason yeah. game in Peoria. What yeah. hotel in Peoria has the space in the room for seven or eight Chicago Bulls and women? The nicest holodome in Peoria, baby. Yeah. Peoria. Maybe they're at the Great Wolf Lodge. <laughs> Uh, my goodness this is uh, i'm wondering like and what what came of this i remember uh kenny did, did was there a baby boom from this event i remember the great <laughs> the great kenny stabler the the oakland raiders had a a camp somewhere i think it was in wisconsin once i, I wish i had prep i did not think i'd bring this up and the kenny stabler said the joke was they partied the whole time and he said uh the joke was in about 18 years the local high school is going to have one hell of a football team <laughs> <laughs> Uh, R.I.P. Snake. Oh, Snake, yeah. <laughs> snake and those Raiders teams. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Yeah. State champs coming about 18 years. So, <laughs> I don't know. But, oh, yeah, good cool. times in Peoria. Yeah. <laughs> Traveling cocaine circus. Uh, hey, the NBA and uh, the NBA pre-Len Bias. So, that was 80. Yeah, it was Len Bias happened in 86. Uh Pretty freewheeling. There you go. Well, I, I thought it was pretty good. It was enjoyable two hours, I thought. And uh, I think it'll only get better as they cruise on. But, you know, I think Jordan just at that time was like a lot of these guys. It's when you go anywhere in the world and everyone is genuflex at you, you lose all perspective on life. And so I think him and he and Pippen were actually kind of pains in the neck. But understandable reasons you know i mean pippen's just like yeah i'll do my surgery whenever and making fun of the gm and are you know arguing this or that but they were able to do it so this was it pat do you have any um memories of jordan as a as a as a college player yeah yeah um a couple things so i i actually i, I shared the picture with you guys one of my favorite college ball basketball pictures of all time is him when he makes the winning shot in the 82 championship game against Georgetown. It's the first Final Four that's in a dome. You know, it's the first time they felt like the, the, the magic bird carryover from three years earlier in 79 had become such that they felt like they could go big as they could as possible. And they got really lucky because they put North Carolina, Dean Smith still trying to win his first title, James Worthy, Sam Perkins, and this freshman kid, Mike Jordan, against Georgetown and Patrick Ewing. And we're just starting to see what Patrick Ewing is becoming. And Patrick Ewing in that game was unbelievable. He was really good. Um, but the picture of Jordan making that shot, first of it's like, you know, he has that really iconic jump shooting form. 
he holds the ball far out away from his body. And uh, Dan, as you pointed out, I mean, his form on that shot particularly was just perfect. I mean, everything that you're fundamentally taught about how to shoot a ball. So that picture captures that. But the part I like even more is the bench where left to right, it is Roy Williams, Eddie Fogler, Dean Smith. And they're all sitting down and they all have their hands clasped on their knees like they're watching an October practice. It's like the most surreal composure of all time. And this is Dean Smith's best team, and he has never won a national title. And if you don't win this one, people are going to be like, oh my gosh, he can't win the big one. And it's all coming down to this freshman kid shooting this jumper from the wing with 15 seconds left, and you're down one. Uh, that pick, I just was so struck by how calm those guys were. And if you can actually see the long, the panorama view, the far end of the court, John Thompson is standing up, and his assistants are all standing up, and everybody in the building is standing up. And Dean's sitting there like, yeah, well, hope he makes it. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a remarkable picture. So I love that. Yeah, the next year, 83, I was growing up in Colorado Springs. I had just graduated from high school, and they had the Pan American Games tryouts for the team in Colorado Springs because the Olympic Training Center was there. And Jordan just destroyed everyone. They had scrimmages that were open to the public, and we went and watched. And, I mean, that was the first time I looked at him like, oh, my gosh, this guy is so good. You know, and there was that was Chris Mullen, that was uh, Mark Price, Michael Cage, uh, pro after pro after pro, and he stood out by far the best player. And that's when I first started to get a glimpse of how good he could be. I thought that quote from Bob Knight after the yeah. '84 Olympics, where he basically says the best player I've ever seen, yeah. and and it, the 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 praise was just overwhelming. And I don't know if I've ever heard Knight just there's no weakness to the game there was just he's the best uh, competitor he's the best athlete he's got the best fight. I mean it was just like boom I'm like okay here you go yeah and he had just coached Isaiah a couple of years earlier you know oh yeah yeah, yeah. and that, um, it was a great point too on the dock that where if the Olympics had happened before the draft Jordan might have gone number one because in the Olympics he was the best player right right yeah that's a good point all right so because we have to focus on the negative Carolina wins the national championship in spring of 82 Dean Smith had two more years of Michael freaking Jordan. <laughs> what the what? Okay. The next year, they lose to a 24 and 10 Georgia team in the NCAA tournament that went nine and nine in the SEC. And this is 1983 <laughs> SEC. Like half the schools yeah. didn't really even have a basketball arena. They just like put a tent over the middle of the football field or something. <laughs> Actually, they wouldn't even let him in the football. It was just a tent in the parking lot of the football stadium. <laughs> they lost 82-77 to a, a Georgia team that Vern Fleming. Got, Vern Fleming seemed to have been the 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 guy, the lockdown defender straight out of New York. I mean, this was not a great team. This is a team no, that, that wasn't even Dominique by, Wilkins, was it? Uh, Wilkins no. is not on this team. No, mm-hmm. no. I've, I've got the roster here. I was trying to find out who the coach is, and it doesn't say. No, you guys Hugh, Durham. Coach Hugh Durham. Coach uh, Hugh Durham. Hugh Durham. Okay. It was Vern Fleming, Terry Fair, mm-hmm. James Banks, Gerald Crosby. I could keep 
going, but you're probably not going to know any of these other names. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was in the Carrier Dome. I never actually, uh, I never mm. actually knew MJ took uh, took a big L in the uh, in the dome. I, I, it has been funny to watch the media, like anywhere Michael Jordan blew his nose in America, tied to some local news outlet. There's been some like expose, like yeah, Michael Jordan came to Peoria and watch in the Peoria papers writing about Michael Jordan's moment there. It's almost like when a when a president visits a town and the nostalgia that comes with it. And, and obviously, too, we're all we're all scurrying for things to write. So it's been fun to just see all the different Michael Jordan things that are now just popping up in every corner of uh, in every corner of America. And then the next year they went 28 and three and they lost to Indiana in the Sweet yep. 16. And that is the uh, the Dan Dockage game. Dockage <laughs> had to lock down MJ. <laughs> and he actually did a pretty good job. Dockage is still rinsing every inch of every ounce out of that he can, man. Th- th- I would too. You know what? <laughs> I would too. I remember our uh, our late great friend Brett Barrup, who played at Kentucky and was in. Yeah. They played Georgetown on the Final Four, and he used to brag about how he uh, he hung uh, two and two <laughs> on uh, Pat Ewing. <laughs> <laughs> He said it was about this time I realized I should study for law school. <laughs> I thought I was going to make the NBA until I got there. And I was like, yeah, no, that's this isn't going down. So I might need to start hitting the books a little bit. Um, I think it actually was sooner than that. I think he figured it out pretty quick. There was a great line by um, uh, James Worthy about the when when Jordan gets to pra- uh, Carolina. He's like, I was better than him for about two weeks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But um, I, how I mean, the that, hell does Dean Smith only win one title with Michael Jordan? I mean, Come on, and o- man. And only make one final four. That's the thing. I mean, that's, boy, you're losing that Georgia team. And then that's even the uh, that 83 team, Sam Perkins was still there. I thought he had gone. But Sam Perkins, who would, you know, would be a 15-year NBA guy. Brad, Brad Doherty was a freshman on that team. Matt Doherty was a returning starter. Holy moly! What was the you know can the old just, joke? Can we just blame Matt Doherty? It's just easy to blame <laughs> Matt Doherty for everything. I'm he gets sure a lot. Matt he Doherty gets undue blame. He gets undue blame. <laughs> I think. Yeah, <laughs> he gets blamed for everything. So, yeah. uh, the 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 old joke back then was you know who's the only person that could hold Michael Jordan to seventeen points? Dean Smith. That's what he averaged in college was only seventeen a game, and then he goes to the NBA and averages twenty five thirty for a hundred straight years. Well, I don't know what happened there, but. Um, they got one title, but man, I don't know. I mean, Jordan should have just dominated. Yeah. They did go 14 and 0 in the ACC. They really, they should have probably, probably should have won the title in 84. Who won in 84? No three point line. Georgetown. Then, Georgetown. Right? Georgetown won that title yeah. over Houston in the, uh, in the man, finals. It was a but, stiff I mean, final four, though. Wow. Yeah. What a final four. I mean, it was pretty big time college basketball in that run. Really you know, was. Georgetown was had Ewing for four years, which is just <laughs> hilarious. Uh, Elijah one would, I think was at least three years. Drexler, I think was two or three at Houston. And then Carolina had that, those guys. I mean, there's some good teams. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Well, we'll see what we come up with next week. I'm sure they got to get to Rodman's great career. Yeah. Rodman's yeah. I the think best Rodman is episode three. I think yeah, I read got, that. we got to get okay. to Rodman. And he was, uh, he was working as a baggage handler at the Dallas airport. <laughs> When he grew like eight inches and then enrolled at like one of those yeah. South Oklahoma, Southeast Oklahoma or something like that. I think That's he was it. there with like Southeast yeah, like, Oklahoma, right? 
with like the Ryan brothers, the coach, the only three people have ever gone to that school. <laughs> is that the one in Miami, which is spelled like Miami, but pronounced oh, right. Uh, <laughs> it might be Miami war dogs. That's their high school. The Miami, Miami uh, war dog football. I remember reading about that. Didn't Shockey went to that one too. If it's the same one, well, we're going to get oh, all really? kinds of tweets from directional Oklahoma sorry. people like, sorry. Ripping, us, ripping us, just blending all their fine institutions together as one in our collective Southeastern memory. Oklahoma's in Durant, Oklahoma. Okay. All right. Oh, it's Northwestern Oklahoma, I think is, uh, might uh be, is, might be Northeast. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, get it together, gentlemen, get it together. <laughs> it's Northeast actually. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Well, whatever. We'll get to that one. So but pretty good stuff. Good old MJ coach yeah. Smith could have done better. Could have done better. Um, done better. I, I got to give Roy credit for not trying to claim he taught him anything. Yeah. <laughs> Roy popped up on the screen. I'm like, oh boy. Uh, yeah, right. And it was just like, this kid is the best. <laughs> I was like, all right, Roy, good. Good stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I, I appreciated about like Roy's cameo was just how simple like recruiting was. Like, we got a call oh, yeah. from someone in the <laughs> district who said he could Should've be pretty good. And then he showed up camp. our camp for five days. Like, like yeah. just so much. And I'm not like Johnny Nostalgia going back to simpler times, but it was kind of like funny. Because, oh, like, yeah. you know, like Mikey Williams could be Michael Jordan now, and he has a million Twitter followers in ninth grade. You know, yeah. so, like, again, a little bit of a clunky analogy because of the JV thing and everything. But, like, yeah, they, like, it's just that we're, it was to different times. Oh, yeah, and Roy told the story on the, he had a Zoom call a couple of weeks ago, week and a half ago. And Roy told the story about when Jordan got there for the summer camp. And they would play in Carmichael and they were staying someplace like eight tenths of a mile away, some dorm. And they had to walk. And so the players walk and Jordan comes in and then leaves and walks back and then comes back with a new set of players and plays again. And Roy's like, oh, wow, <laughs> ah, this guy wants to play. And he's watching him and he's like, oh, my gosh, this guy's really good. It was a good story. There was good um, explanation on the the famed. You got stuck on the JV team. It was yeah. only five foot ten. Yeah, right. JV coach or the varsity coach has been dragged for decades over that. Jordan brought him to the Hall of Fame ceremony and then ripped him at the <laughs> Hall of Fame ceremony. Like Jordan is brutal, man. Yeah. He is brutal. Do you, do you think Jordan's people didn't trust Jordan to do the documentary? I do. They, they, they never like, let anybody even talk to him about it. Yeah. Yeah. They finally decided this would do it. And uh, they've they, they nobody even gets to ask Jordan for interviews. You have to go through uh, go through Esty uh, and, the, and the people and no way. It's like, no, no, no. Man, I don't think they trusted him. I, I Probably for good reason. Yeah. I mean, right. They had to mellow First him out with a little ginger ale. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, yeah, he's vicious. And secondly, he's going to drink during the interview. What could go wrong? Right. Like, how, how could you cut me? It's like, dude, you were five foot ten. Yeah. You only got put on the JV, you know. So, anyway, it was interesting to see how much he physically developed from early Carolina on. You know, like like when you when you saw some of the shots of him in high school, like he obviously just really filled in. You know, like most people do around eighteen, nineteen. But to me, that was one of the kind of jarring takeaways last night. It's like, whoa, okay, here he is as like a sophomore, and he's like, you know, just jacked. Do you yep. think any top recruit now rides a bike around campus in college football or basketball no basketball like well, they no. stanford pat they, yeah, they do but yeah they're those not, not they're not top rec- i mean the, like, like he's on a rides a bike around campus so. is michael yeah. jordan that. on a schwinn he's just cruising campus he's wearing yeah, a beret I, at one point <laughs> 
I rode around with Andrew Luck for a day I spent with him at Stanford. But uh, yeah, most of them all have like those motorized bikes now, like the football players, which obviously petrifies the coaches that they're, you know, starting Sam linebacker could hit a curb the wrong way and end up with a broken leg and, you know, being out. Shouldn't have bought it for him. Yeah, and it was such a rickety-looking bike. Some of that footage was just great, you know, just like the oh, old, yeah. the old, old stuff. I was like, for for reading all the like this vault footage hidden away for all these years, like I don't know, like Scotty Pippen doing curls didn't do a whole lot for me. Nah. I'm sure there'll be more of it, but like I, I didn't think the NBA stuff was like mind-blowingly good. Now it could get there. I actually thought the most interesting stuff was like the shots of like the group interviews post-game after and how like. Jordan would dodge the questions about Pippen's contract or, you know, that kind of stuff. I thought that was actually more interesting than really any like behind the scenes stuff. Some of the stuff was neat from the locker room in France, but I didn't I didn't find that to be as like mind blowing as the people were maybe making it out to be. Yeah, I think all access was partial access. And I think particularly beginning of the year, they were scared of MJ. We'll see if it gets better. But yeah, there was nothing. The best video I saw was some new local news feature where they showed Jordan in his townhouse cooking and then making oh, yeah. his own yes. bed yeah. yes <laughs> right ironing or whatever he was doing yeah yeah <laughs> folding his laundry folding his laundry yeah that was it. yeah, yeah. Uh, I, was just, yeah. I was just home just wanted to play ball i'm like let's not oversell this he did like to say you. he played cards <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. Right. there were no the ladies that... in uh chicago at the time apparently it just yeah. you know he's sure. 21 the only 21 year old single male in chicago not looking around town was <laughs> yeah. michael jordan apparently right Right. The one (laughs) the video I liked that I thought was interesting was the last game of the regular season when they had to win to get in the playoffs and they benched Jordan and he was obviously visibly upset on the bench. But even Michael Jordan, who was going to be rookie of the year or no, that was the second year, but had been rookie of the year was very different in his reaction to the coach than I think a lot of young people's young stars would be today. Didn't say a word to Stan Allback. Didn't complain. Did not vocalize it at all. He was mad. Somebody else reached over and grabbed his hand, and he just sat there. There was a little more deference to the coach, I think, back then, obviously, than what you might see today in that situation. Yeah, that's why I thought some of these stories weren't were were a little embellished. He's like, I was telling him, put me in, just put me in. like. Well, where's the mm. video of you putting him in on the sideline yeah. of the Indiana? Uh, uh, you know, Indiana Pacers Stadium or whatever that old place used to be called. Market um, Square Arena. Yeah, Market Square. We would see it. So I think some of it was it. But I had never heard the name Stan Allback in my life before really? that. Yeah, I just uh, that was like I was they were talking about Stan and I was like Googling it. Like I just hadn't <laughs> that was just that is just a coach that slipped past my uh poor my guy existence. Got, poor guy got had his chance. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. he did. Uh, he was Jordan. a placekeeper. It's like, hey, Jack McKinney coached Magic Johnson at one point, too. Then All right, so let's get to a little college sports news. We got some uh, football and we got some basketball. Let's start a little bit with the basketball, and that is the um, the one-time transfer rule. The exciting one-time transfer rule, because this is riveting stuff. But basically, if you want to transfer, you can just enter your name in the portal and enroll at another school the next year. Uh, that is the proposal. I, I think if I'm getting this right, and coaches are not pleased. And we have seen a tweet from Dick Vitale declaring that uh, Coach Izzo, not to anyone's surprise, is what do they term it? Furious about this. Furious that they could go, and various people are 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 making the case. So I don't know whether this is going to go through or not. 
I think that once they started doing the, I think you either have to have one year you must sit. Once they started doing these appeals and making it subjective, poor execution by the NCA because this is what you inevitably get. So uh, Izzo resigned from the NABC board previously uh, over this, uh, and he's not happy. So is Tom Izzo right? Is Tom Izzo wrong? What do you think of this uh, a one-time rule where you can just bail? The obvious counterpoint is coaches bail and take a next job in one hour later. Why can't a player? So. Oh, I think it has to happen. I think it will happen. Uh, they're going to have a discussion about it Friday, and then they're going to vote May 20th on this. And I don't think they're even getting to the point of serious discussion and, and voting unless there's a pretty good chance it happens. I think it should. I've, I've, ter- I've changed my mind on this at first because I just thought it would be complete chaos. But as you mentioned, Dan, once they started opening the loopholes and it became ridiculous and then it just became a legal contest, who has the best lawyer who can come up with the, you know, who has Tom Mars to find a way for the people to be- become immediately eligible, then you're defeating the purpose here. OK, so if, if it becomes a legal contest, take the law out of it. Let's just make it simple and, and make it uniform with every other sport in college athletics, other than football, basketball, I think women's basketball, and maybe one other, maybe maybe hockey or baseball, I'm not sure. But every other sport, you can transfer and be immediately eligible somewhere else. So why, if you can do it in softball and you can do it in wrestling, can't you do it in football or basketball? Well, because the coaches carry so much clout because they're the richest guys on campus and everybody listens to them and they don't want it. Uh, as you pointed out, the fact that coaches have complete freedom of movement makes this all the more inconsistent. So I uh, think that they should do it. I think it would just be a much easier, cleaner way to handle transfers. It's going to happen one time. If you try it again, that's where I would say no waiver process, no nothing. You are done. You, you can transfer one time after that. You are absolutely sitting out. Don't even try to get a waiver. But let's do it. Let's make it consistent. There will probably be a big spike for a year or two. And then I think it'll probably settle back down and everybody's going to be okay. Tom Izzo's going to be fine. And the rest of the coaches who are enlisting Dick Vitale and John Rothstein and everybody else to launch their complaints for them are going to live. Well, I, I agree with Pat. On certainly there has been, there has been some, there's going to be some chiropractor visits from all the water carrying for all the, uh, for all the coaches on this topic. And it understandable that the coaches don't, uh, don't want this. I am in favor, like, I understand why we've got here, like Pat said, the constant litigation, the ridiculousness of the waiver process and how farcical it's become, like it only makes sense that we go here. And I'm just wondering if there's like a way to meet in the middle. You say you keep the one year sit out rule unless your coach is fired or leaves, which is you know, a third of a third of everything right every year. And then there's no waivers. There's nothing else. Like, is there is there a way to like meet in the middle a little bit here? I just think we talked about this on the last podcast, like the NCA can't control the black market. We just saw that documentary starring Dan Wetzel and others. The NCA can't keep top talent because it can't figure out the NLI. They're about 10 years behind on that. And we're just there's less and less reasons to watch college basketball. There's less familiarity And if you have this transfer rule, there aren't going to be guys who maybe are backups as freshmen and sophomores going to go. And I don't blame people. Go chase what it should be. But college basketball has some control over this right now. And if you're not good enough to go immediately to the NBA or the G League after your freshman year in college, transferring somewhere and sitting out 
should be looked at as like a positive because you're getting an extra year of a fifty thousand dollar ish education that you wouldn't you know that you wouldn't be able to get normally right because if you just played four years and left so maybe you can get a master's degree maybe there's a realization that like you won't be able to make a living for 20 years in basketball and you may have to do that so like and, and you can get a lot better as a player like if you're leaving you need to improve and that's an opportunity to improve so i i think that again I'm not going to kick and scream if, if, if this rule passes because I completely understand why we got here. But I don't think it's great for the health of the sport. Uh, but it is hypocritical for all these coaches who are constantly chasing the next job to be on tirades about it because they're the first ones who'd leave in a blink. So it's a it's a it's a mess born of dozens of other messes that have led to this point. Yeah, you know, I agree with you, Pete. I actually think that, you know, it's not a punishment to have to get an extra year of a scholarship to college. Uh, I, I, just, I can't, I, I just can't die on that hill. Um, sorry. You get a year of practice, get a year of being at school. It's free. You get some classes, you know, maybe with a transfer, you end up getting a grad degree or it's easier to get your undergrad or, uh, there is just not, uh, there's not a hardship to that to me. The, the NCA's problem is they started declaring some of them hardships. And now here we are. It, it, it goes to what we talk about a lot is they've spent decades being slow and not and not winning the trust of their student athletes to where you know nobody nobody they just don't trust them and and the coaches jump and everybody the ad's jump and everyone jumps and they they don't do anything for the players you know if, if this was a union okay and 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 obviously it isn't but if it was the ownership would say to the union okay we would like to have a one year policy where you you have to sit out, and we think this is beneficial, and the union would come back and say, okay, but why don't you give us this, okay? And maybe it's, I don't know what, one year post, uh, one year of health care. I, I don't know what it would be, right? But you would have a negotiation. There's no negotiation because they never want to give anything until they're already behind the barrel, and they've lost the the, the trust of the players, the public, the whole thing. And so they're kind of stuck. And now they're sitting there with, well, why did we take this one sub? You know, one it's just it's just not a bad thing to have to sit out a year of college. So I can't feel for it, except it's not necessarily fair with the that the bosses get to do it. But what I about the it, other it, sports that don't have to do it? Well, I, I wouldn't be I'd be fine if all of them had to do it. That, okay. Again, this is the problem. Okay, like this is the this is their issue. They're not organized. You know, and 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 it, like where the hell's Mark Emmert on this? <laughs> Like, you know, and I don't know where's ever been the Mark Emmerich on this. Where is he? No, we we talked last week about the the draft thing. You know, can can, can you figure out how to how to keep let the kids come back? Why? Why is why? Why do you automatically lose eligibility because you apply for a job? Like what job do you get fired when you apply for a job somewhere else or you ask to be considered for a job? Or even get the offer, like getting drafted. Why do hockey kids get one rule and basketball the other? And I actually talked to a bunch of people this weekend uh, in basketball, called me, and, and a lot of well-meaning people. And they go, well, it's complicated, you know, this, this. You know, it'd be a lot easier if the NBA agreed with us. But, you know, we asked once a few years ago, and they didn't really see me. And I'm like, that's your problem. Stand up for yourself. Right. Where's where? Adam Silver's getting calls from, like, random people. It's not even getting to Adam Silver, okay? But it's just someone at the NBA is getting a random call from somebody in college sports going, hey, would you ever think of uh, changing the ad? I don't think that'll fly. Okay, we give up. 
Where's Mark Emmert saying we're losing, we're going to lose 45 basketball players this summer. They deserve the right to come back to college. Where are you? You know, so yeah. there's no leadership on this. And so we well, have Izzo planting stories with, with Dick Vitale on an NABC committee that isn't even the NC. Like it's so screwed up. There's such a lack of, and I don't know what he does because these are the issues that in any other sport, the commissioner's front and center on. If there's a labor dispute in the NFL or the NBA, Roger Goodell and, and, and Adam Silver are right there. So it's just a, it's a huge problem where I kind of agree with the, I agree that these kids should sit out, but at this yeah. point, how do you, how do you make that argument? I think you're absolutely right that, that Emmert's voice is notably lacking in this. And one of the things that they have done very obviously, and Pete and I have written about this to a degree in recent years, is, is to diminish his voice because his voice was so often going far afield and saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing. So, you know, they, they kind of turned down his juice, so to speak, and, and have made him more, much more of a figurehead than anything else. But I'd like to ask you now, you used a real-world example for why a kid from the NBA standpoint, or basketball, if, if somebody can, can have a job interview, why can't they go back to college? Well, a regular student, can transfer from UMass to Boston U. They don't have to sit out a year. Why, you know, so if, if they can do it, why can't, why, again, with an athlete. The thing, I, you brought up one point that I, has always mystified me. Why are there two sets of rules? Why is there a set of rule for 14 sports and a different set for three other sports? That is stupid. Because three of them have money to be made yeah, on it. Right. I mean, that's And the it. coaches, the coaches bellyache and people listen to them because they're powerful. So I, I looked at I was looking through the manual again this weekend because I had all these conversations with people and I saw now uh, this rarely applies but in the WNBA a player who doesn't get drafted now there aren't many because you can't come out early but say you have a fifth year eligibility and you just didn't use it they have thirty days to declare they want to come back to school really so the women's so players have thirty days now really it's a, that's interesting but that's, then they, they can't come out early they can't come out early either. That's another reason. Now, they w- come out early. I don't think they can. The WNBA, I believe, has a rule that says you're not. A, we don't take. Uh, we take an. A, it's four years after high school or something like that. It was like that, but it changed because I just remember at the New York Times writing about the girl at Rutgers who was the first girl to go early, and uh, I'm of course not going to remember right, her name because it was a bunch. It was a bunch of years ago. I again, that, that is that is. I am dangerously talking out of my. Uh, the out person of my who told me that there. I would have. Tremendous faith in knowing the rule, but that person could be wrong too. So I don't know. But again, why are we, if you read through this section of the NCAA manual, okay, they have a rule based on, it's called like interaction with professional teams. And then there's just, it, it looks at the tax code. It's like 73 different uh, <laughs> exemptions and, th- and you're trying to read it. And it's literally like, this is mind boggling. I don't even understand this. Like I, this is a fairly simple issue. And I'm a reasonably intelligent person. And after an hour, I don't know what happened. And you go, why does, wait, skiing has this rule? Why skiing? Like, I don't, just, just, just get rid of it. It's just, I, I agree with you, Pat, on the, why should a kid have to sit out? Like, if you're an amateur, you should have, a, they should have less control over you, right? Yeah. Like, you're just yep. an amateur. You're just some kid at school who comes out for the basketball team. Okay, then why do you have any say over me? But. I don't know. It's just, I just, there's no leadership. 
There's no, there's no one rallying it, no one explaining it, no one le- hurting the, hurting it all around, and it just gets, it's like committees and and emotional decisions. Like we talked about, oh, we're gonna let all the spring sport athletes come back and have a scholarship, right? Because it's, it felt good at the time to come up with that rule, and all of a sudden, all the ads are going, what the, how does that work? <laughs> Barry Alvarez like, says, not here. Barry Alvarez is <laughs> like, forget it, you're out. And, and and other schools I know are like, we can't put every kid in a grad program. It's it's April. Like, I'm sorry, but our grad schools are our real grad program. Like we just some schools might be able to fit some kid in some like it it doesn't work. And but it was like, well, it felt good. And that's how you, <laughs> you know, and then you go, well, what about the winter sports didn't get to finish? OK, let them come back to, you know, well, what about what about what's going to happen this fall? We're going to have every, yeah. you know, it's like right. at some point you just got to make make decisions and I, they just aren't good at it. It's like they don't care about public opinion, but then they do. And I don't yeah, know. I think there was enough consistent beating of the NCAA about the head and shoulders for about not caring about the athletes that they have overcompensated, especially like the spring sport thing. Now, look, I, I mean, if you can make the spring sport thing work, I think you should at your school. And a lot of them are trying to do it, but it's problematic. And I do think that was born very much out of, Oh, People say we don't care. We're going to show that we care. Well, I think that was born of let's let the campus leaders like Barry Alvarez be the bad guy instead well, of us yeah. always being the yeah. bad guy. Sure. That, the, way they, was, the way they worked it. Yes. yes, that was very overt. So I'm going to clear up the WNBA uh, from Wikipedia, my favorite fake news source. <laughs> um, the WNBA's higher age limit, which is 20, means that few such players have the option to make an early declaration. So I think the, the truth was sort of. 22 for U.S. players is the uh, is okay. the age limit. So right. I think I th- we were both right in that sense. Like it would have to be a, a rare occasion for a couple for kids early a entry. year, a couple kids because yeah, of age. Yeah, yeah, no, it's not pervasive. I, I agree. I agree with that completely. Um, I'm going to make two more points here. Uh, back to Emmer and Silver. Classic studies in leadership success and failure. Silver, when Ben Simmons was plotting his way through that disastrous season at LSU with Johnny Jones and the Sleepwalkers. Remember, they lost by like 200 points in the SEC title and the SEC <laughs> tournament that year. And there was a documentary following him around, showing showing his apathy. Right. Um, so the opposite, Silver, the opposite of the MJ doc. Uh, yes, yes, yes. I have to yes. win at everything. Ben Simmons uh, yeah. like, yo, what? Why? Why am I doing it? No, the, like the, the, the title of that documentary should have been, why am I in college? <laughs> yeah. What the heck's going on? And so Adam Silver saw that and it really struck him. And he's spoken about this a few times to, to me and to others. He basically said, wait a minute, we're just sending a kid to college who doesn't want to be there. And I think that's a little bit where this seed was planted for the evolution that we're in right now. He tried it with the 125 grand a year in the G League. It didn't work. And it's not going to work. The G League's too good. Got, you know, that's why Darius Baisley didn't end up going to the G League, even though he said he was, because he would have got swallowed whole. Like, it's, so this is this is sort of a happy meeting. Basically, these guys are going to go play well-coached AAU basketball for a year, and they're going to go into like workout and draft prep, and and that's that's essentially how this how this orbit and world is is going to exist. You take so silver, you know, 
thought-provoking, insightful, noticing trends, seeing things like all the things good leaders do, and then making like decisive decisions. Mark Emmert, on the other hand, like it was somewhere around 2014, I tried to look it up. This is what Pat was referring to, to earlier, when essentially the people at the NCA just like shoved Mark Emmert in a closet and let him out, come out to talk once a year because they didn't trust him. Remember he went on the radio, I think it was Dan Patrick when the Miami scandal was all the rage and just said a couple of like really, you know, like, like just dumb things basically. And uh, yeah, they, like he couldn't get out of his own way. So they just sort of like put a sock in his mouth. And I mean, he's so rarely out in public, so rarely the voice or the face of anything. I remember when Mark Emmert was first hired in 2010, a bunch of media and Pat, you may have gone there. Did you go to Indianapolis when Emmert first got hired for like the initial meet and greets? There was, it was all like, Bold talk, bold vision, I'm going to take this job. And that has all just completely disappeared a decade later. And now all he's doing is surviving. And the best way to survive is to do nothing. Yeah. Because the say, status Say little, quote, do less. Correct. Lay low and don't make the big mistake. Mm -mm. That's, yeah. that's the Mark Emmerich, like mantra. And, you know, it's college presidents who ultimately have to make the decision on Mark Emmerich. College presidents are like the most indecisive, risk-averse. Like all they do is trot out Ed Ray, the guy from Oregon State, what a great job Mark Emmert's doing. Burp, burp, burp. And then like the status quo continues. But, and I wrote this in, in my column on college basketball, the sport has gotten precipitously worse. The one sport the NCAA needs to be good because uh, they don't really make any money on football has gotten precipitously worse in the decade Mark Emmert has been in charge. And, you know, it's absolutely a bigger thing that they're losing the the 44 kids that you wrote about in your column, Dan, and what you referenced, Pat. That's a way bigger deal than losing metaphorical Jalen Greens. But it's all these things that have compounded on each other that have led to this point. And nobody like you watch the 08 title game. Kansas Memphis is a monster game. And good. Look, there's there was a great title game last year. There's been good NCAA tournament games. There's been good moments, but there's nothing in the sport that's compelling you to stick around and watch wire to wire. And I know that I've made that point a few times on this podcast, but if you have to blame anyone for that, it starts with Mark Emery. It starts with the NCA and just being asleep at the wheel as their most important product has veered off the road. And I, I think there's something to this. Also, a big loss is if Tom Izzo says, I'm just had enough, I quit. Now, you can, oh, you can yell at him. Sure. But if he stays an extra five years, John Beeline, I'm out. Tired of it? I'm going to go try to coach the freaking yeah. Cleveland Cavaliers. Brad Stevens, <laughs> never coming back. Billy Donovan, probably never coming mm. back. Like, those are those are four, I don't know, Beeline gets there. He and should. Maybe, we'll see what Stevens uh, yeah. says, but those are four Hall of Fame-type coaches. No yep. Everything you want in college basketball is right there. And those guys are like, yeah, I ain't dealing with the recruiting. I ain't dealing with this rule. I ain't dealing with that. And that's what you lose when you have total chaos. And so I remember Brad Stevens, like, I, I he wanted to get out because yeah. which school am I supposed to go coach? I don't want to coach yeah. that way. Yeah. And, right. and Izzo's one of, yeah. Izzo and Beeline are about the last two that could hold on and coach a certain way. Right. Right. Yeah. Yep. And, yeah, every and one bailed for the worst job in the NBA, and the other one is, <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, yeah. typically exasperated will probably be back, but you want five more years of him, not five less because he's always a draw. Every yeah. time I see Brad Stevens around Boston, he's always asking me what's going on in the college scene and, yeah. you know, just kind of gossip stuff. And I'm like, man, you got out at the perfect time. And that like, like not to be lost in the Brad Stevens thing is that they were going to the big East. 
I right. don't, Brad Stevens coached him in the A-10, but not yeah. the Big East, if memory serves me right. And so all of a sudden, like old little Butler playing up against Villanova now, like it's, it's a different deal. And, you know, the highest, the most successful college basketball coaches of this era are deal makers as much as they are coaches. And Brad Stevens wanted to coach. Like it just, in he he's told me in Boston, like he, he drives home at night and he's looking for people to call. Because he doesn't have to call the eighth grade coach here or the sophomore AAU coach there. Like you're constantly or like run and fly to Atlanta to watch a kid in a 6 a.m. workout and fly back or whatever. Like you're constantly essentially brokering deals and figuring out ways to acquire players. It's a player acquisition business and, you know, with very few above board ways to to, to get them. And so one more point here, Pat, like. I don't think that uh, one of the last stories Pat and I wrote together at Yahoo is about Jim Haney, the head of the NABC, who was making a million dollars a year to do nothing. And, you know, Izzo, Izzo resigning from the board of NABC was symbolic of, you know what? We were supposed to protect the game. And instead of protecting the game, we all just piled as much money as possible and sat here and did nothing. We weren't proactive. We never said, what's the last relevant thing the NABC has done? But Jim Haney found out a way to run some tournaments, make some money, get some marketing deals, and then he made a bunch of money, so everybody's happy, and then like got coaches some like Marriott speech at the Final Four for 20 grand, so like the high-end guys didn't complain. And then all of a sudden, like the sport's gone to hell, and there's been no one supposedly sort of watching out and protecting over the coaches. And again, Jim Haney gets very minimal blame compared to poor NCAA leadership, but I do think if you had some bulldog there being proactive and helping shape the game in a positive way, it could have helped. Sure. Hey, quick, quick story on how squeaky clean Brad Stevens was. And I'll uh, let us move on to other stuff. But uh, so he's recruiting Cody Zeller, you know, great player, five-star guy out of Indiana. And they're in it. It's them and it's Indiana and I think maybe Purdue, Notre Dame, I don't know, North Carolina. And he's sitting in the stands at a Nike event in Indy. And I go up and sit next to him. You know, this was probably summer 2010 or 11. I don't know. Probably 11, I guess. And talking to him for a while. And then so finally, you know, he's watching Zeller. So I finally asked, I said, what do you think of Zeller? He's good. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's pretty good. I said, what do you think your chances are? I said, Pat, I can't, I can't talk about that. I said, I'm not, quoting <laughs> you. I'm, not, I'm not quoting you, Brad. I just want, do you think you got a chance? I just am not comfortable. To, that's against the rules to talk about recruits. I'm like, oh, my gosh. You're in the same profession with some of these other guys, really. Yeah. And you got to you got to then do all that work, all those calls, all those six a.m.s, and then in comes the strong ass offer, and you lose them. Yeah, yeah. Right. To a yeah. to some guy that can't coach his way out of a bag. Yeah. Yes. And you're yeah, like, that... like really? I'm I'm Brad Steve. Yeah, I know. It's I mean, I you know, you go back to the 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 scheme you mentioned earlier, the movie. Like Brian Bowen Jr. is in Saginaw, Michigan. He has. Two of he has Tom Izzo and John Beeline as his in-state schools. And he doesn't want to go there. Like you, you, I mean, which one you want to go play for, right? Beeline will get you to the NBA. He's gotten tons of guys to the NBA. Izzo will coach a different style, but he'd get guys in the NBA. The last kid from your high school that was that good was was only Draymond Green, who was like an overweight, not like, you know, he ends up being a fight, you know, whatever, dynasty NBA guy. And it's like, yeah, no, I can't go to those two schools. And so those two coaches are sitting there going, this kid isn't even that good. Yeah, right. and, and it's not that, that, that Brian didn't want, because he ends up going to Patino as a great developer of talent. 
but the forces are surrounding these guys. You can't, no, I won't play for either Beeline or Izzo. Can't happen. And you're like, this sport is totally screwed up. The local kid doesn't yeah. want to play. Every kid in Michigan is either a Michigan fan or a Michigan State fan. And, you know, and so it's like, there you go. All right. All right. We've had, this has uh, gotten long. Let's talk one more real transfer. This is big football. Yep. JT yep. Daniels has entered the portal out at USC. Where do we think he might go? Obviously, like, you know, LSU looks like a fit, but we'll see. Uh, where where do you think he could go? And what does this mean for, for USC? I think it was Mike Farrell of Rivals put up like his JT Daniels high school tape was on Twitter. And I was like, holy crap, could this kid throw the ball? How big of a blow is this for US? I, I mean, this is this would be big news uh, if there wasn't a pandemic going on. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, Keaton Slovis is the real deal. I mean, he, he established himself very impressively. And that's why JT is on the market, I guess, now. Although, you know, he had said pretty consistently in December he was not going to transfer. But now push comes to shove, and he is. When Graham Harrell stayed as the offensive coordinator, it was clear he loved Keaton Slovis, uh, elevated him up the depth chart to number two as a true freshman, even though, you know, he came in as like the number four guy. And so Keaton Slovis is the guy. So JT Daniels becomes expendable. He's a very, very good player. He is an incredible talent, I think. And he, you talk about somebody who's going to be really interested in what the discussion is Friday uh, on the immediate transfer eligibility and then the vote next month because he could be plug and play right away with three years eligibility, I think, uh, which would be awfully attractive to a lot of people, you know, whether it's LSU. And I think Pete might actually have better information on, on what schools he's looking at. So, Pat, you're right. Actually, uh, after we were texting around last night, I texted with uh, a couple people uh, who know the JT Daniels situation. One thing that's very crucial in all this, as you alluded to, Pat, is the uh, is the transfer rule. Now, I was told, again, as of right now, his JT Daniels plan is if that transfer rule does not pass, he'd go back to USC and then graduate and then transfer w with uh, with nothing else. Again, I don't want to stand on the table and scream that. Because these things are fluid, they change. Somebody offers a good thing, hey, sit out a year. You know, it could it could evolve. But his thinking as of now is that if the rule does not pass, where you get the one time transfer eligibility, then he will he will go back to USC, finish up, and then move from uh, and then move from there. I'd say four schools would probably be. Uh, I'll give you five schools that if I had to, if I had to list right now from chatting with people last night: LSU, Michigan, Washington, Colorado, who is desperate for a quarterback right now. Like Colorado is Colorado and Michigan State, who's the other one, are the two most desperate. So JT Daniels has a healthy ego to him. He played at Matter Day. He was the top quarterback recruit in the country. He's not going to go to a Mountain West school so he can sling it a million times. Like he's going to want to go somewhere big like that. This is going to be driven by ego, belief in talent, whatever you want to call it. You know, he's not going to go to uh, Hawaii and, and spin around. He's going to want to go to a big time blue blood place and fulfill what, what he thinks is, you know, his first round of talent. So those would be the best ones to start with. But when you talk about need at the quarterback position, LSU certainly has it. Michigan doesn't have anyone surefire. Washington's room is is muddled. And, uh, you know, with John Donovan there, it's like a little bit of a new system. And then Colorado State and Michigan have like airline guys on the runway being like, please come here. We need badly need depth in our uh, in our rooms. New coaching staffs that no one established. Uh, so and like 
got behind the eight ball on getting transfers because they both obviously got the job so late. So that would be the best way to uh, to sum up where the JT Daniels uh, transfer situation is right now. You wonder if you're a coach on the hot seat and you're getting paid if you you're good with no season. <laughs> good question. I mean, really, you know what? It's not a bad question. I mean, we saw in college basketball where coaches on the hot seat were spared largely because of what's going on. I mean, we talked about it, Danny Manning, yeah, uh, et cetera. And yeah, it could be similar for football. Is Make you know four you, million a year? Yeah, can't lose any games if there ain't no can't. games. That's right. <laughs> you, the less you lose, the less chance you have. And the more finances are are in upheaval at your school, the less they can afford to buy you out. I remember oh, uh, in the aftermath of 08, like the 0809 season, I guess, when the market crashed and everything. I, I remember writing a trend story for the New York Times where the lead was basically, it's a good time to be a bad coach. So <laughs> right now it's a good time to be a bad coach. But yeah. I, I do think jokes aside, like the Clay Helton buyout, I'd have to look at the years and do a little math in my head. But if you're spending over $10 million to buy out a coach, which USC would certainly have to do for uh, for, for Helton, uh, Texas would owe Tom Herman $15 million, and then the staff Ooh. that they just brought in, seven, eight new guys, uh, another $10 million. So even Texas, I mean, look at where oil prices are today. You can buy you buy a gallon no. of oil for a quarter right now. Like that hurts, you know, the Texas booster set, obviously the whole big 12 footprint, really, when you go to it. $25 million right now, not only is it hard to get, but the optics of it would be brutal. Like just brutal when you've got food bank lines down the street and you're going to pay uh, a bunch of coaches $25 million to not coach. Yeah. Like that's uh, that's a really, really difficult uh difficult thing. So no, I think the I think the carousel is gonna, you know, is gonna crawl. And it'd be interesting too, like you look at right now, Luke Fickle would be the number one guy on everybody's list next year in the group of five as as the hot guy. And he's obviously put together a great recruiting class in Cincinnati last year. They're on fire on the recruiting trail right now with a top 20 class coming back again. Like if you're Luke Fickle, maybe you just buckle up and stay for a while. You know? you know, like 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 if because what you don't want to do is take some metaphorical middling NC State job, whereas if you could build Cincinnati into a top 25 team with local talent and a footprint you're familiar, maybe this changes how how the, how the carousel spins. I'm looking right now. I mean, this is not the CNBC, <laughs> but uh, oil at this moment, 150 <laughs> is the last reading here is 151 p.m. Eastern time on Monday. Ninety cents a barrel. That is That's crazy. unbelievable. You can buy a gallon of milk for 90 cents a gallon, <laughs> can you? Right? That's oh insane. My gosh. 90 cents a barrel. It, wow. A gallon of gas at 90 would be insane. Holy this moly. Is 90 cents. If you're Texas A&M, that $75 million deal yeah. for Jimbo. <laughs> right. Yeah. Is it didn't Jim, Rich Rod used to have an oil well or something? Or wasn't there something with the oil no, well? Arizona, Arizona, Sean yeah. Miller. It was an energy company. They had a stock That's right. boost uh, tied oh well. into their contract. So, Good yeah. God, uh, uh, yeah, I, yeah. No, yeah, I, I really think most of our most of our listeners really come for the stock tips. I do. I yeah, tell people to buy Amazon. <laughs> Hope you sold and buy oil. Apple instead of you know <laughs> instead of betting on sports and like yeah yeah d- <laughs> yeah don't don't buy, well actually buying oil today buy is it really now. smart right yeah, buy it like, now yeah, buy oil now. Thank us later. <laughs> yeah. Hope right. you sold. Hope you sold. Yeah. Watch your back, cents. Yahoo Finance. We're coming for you. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, boy. Uh, All, right. Uh, All right. Well, you know what? We had too many real issues. Uh, so yeah. we will get to uh, more animal shame. attacks. Yeah. A lot fights. of animals making a lot of noise out there. Flexing. A lot of animal flexing going yeah. on. There is a lot of flexing. They, they, they're they getting a little 
they're getting a little chesty, and I'm not liking it. <laughs> they're getting a little chesty, like monkeys, you know, overtaking plazas and stuff. I'm not liking it at all. Uh, I did I, real quickly. I got to get to this. Yeah. Our man Bobby Corrigan, the the urban rodentologist. Oh yeah, hero. yeah. Okay, so I did a little research. First off, um, he went to he has a PhD from Purdue. Good Big Ten uh-huh. guy. Good All Big right. Ten guy. I don't know right. how you 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 wander around Lafayette and decide <laughs> I, I I want to climb in the sewers of Brooklyn and, and analyze rats. I mean, talk about the least urban rodentologist <laughs> place on in America. It's pretty much Lafayette. I mean, if couple, I had to watch Daryl Hazel's teams play, I'd want to go in a sewer yeah, too. So. Maybe there's a couple buildings there, but not many there. No. Um, and then uh, he, his Twitter feed. I, 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 let me put it this way: type in rodentolo at rodentologist. Just go to the bar. I want to hear your reaction <laughs> to the top okay. photo because he shows a battle. A picture of a battle, a rat battle. Really? I want to hear your real-time uh, reactions to this. Bobby Corrigan, so, there he is. Oh, what? So on Twitter? Like, <laughs> oh, click on his Twitter. Oh, come on. Oh. <laughs> That's Holy. like the Bob Yor statue, but for a rat. <laughs> like he's suspended in midair on the top of his Twitter feed. He has a picture. I encourage everyone to go to at rodentologist doc, uh, at rodentologist on Twitter. Yeah. This picture is just mm. rat carcasses and tails yeah. laying around. He his te- his tweet is the wars, battles, and grisly remains of hunger stressed city rats anywhere during COVID nineteen. Here, oh. six plus victims. Rats are also warriors. Bodies dragged <laughs> off. Like, <laughs> r- like the Marines. <laughs> right. Uh, it was like in, it was like when uh when Forrest Gump wouldn't let uh, uh, Lieutenant Dan lay in the field in Vietnam and he wanted to die in the That's right. He wouldn't do it. Dragging these him out of there. Are, these rats are gonna have a shrimp boat one day with their <laughs> legless rat friend. <laughs> And stuff. <laughs> Rodent killings. Wait, the this is the, this, a shrimp boat. This guy, Bobby Corrigan, is my hero. Rodent killings, which he, he lets us know is called Muricide. Muricide, yeah. Muricide. <laughs> what the? Far less when food, garbage, other remains, abundant, stable. This, um, oh, wait, he says the pictures from at Standard Press. So this guy might have even more. Uh, I oh, don't, boy. we don't need more. Anyway, yeah, that, that is, like that the, is yeah. Also, one Hilarious. other bit about Bobby Corrigan, and I'll let you finish. Yeah, yeah. Bobby Corrigan has been elected to the PMP Hall of Fame, the Pest Management Professional <laughs> Hall of Fame, class of 2008. Now, oh I will gosh. laugh at this, but I'm in the Basketball Writers Hall of Fame, yeah. and that is a far <laughs> more useless profession than Both this. You, would you rather proof. have a basketball yeah. writer or someone who can control the rat population <laughs> in your town? There are too I'm many fu- halls of fame. Yeah. Both those things are proof of that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, I, I will say, like, a majority of the feedback I get from the pod, from people texting or people on Twitter, it's not like, hey, great analysis no. of the new NBA rule or, you know, the quarterback transfer reporter. No, it's like, we need more rodent stuff. I know, like, I like know. The, the rodent stuff is really what really what sells. So we appreciate everybody wading through all our nonsensical opinions just to get to your animal fix. Absolutely, and that's the thing. Yes, the, his his background pick, his wallpaper pick, or whatever on his on his site is is a a a rat in mid flight, like you know, like Michael Jordan. It's basically the Jumpman logo of rats. 
Very impressive. <laughs> See, I thought Dan would like the Bobby Orr analogy because when Bobby oh, Orr scored that famous yeah, goal you know in what? Game Seven, you know, like I, 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 I didn't like, hear. Yeah, I didn't hear you on that, but that's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah, uh, this Dan, guy, the, the Boston Bruins season ticket holder from a thousand miles away. He's rodents comprise forty three percent of all mammal species on Earth. What's wow. not to admire about such, such such success in science, art, mystery, and their essential contributions? Uh, this guy, man, he's out there. <laughs> yeah, yes. I tell you what, though, that that PMP party when they get the Hall of Famers together, <laughs> you know things, you know things get freaky. Oh, you yeah. know, <laughs> buckle up, man! You're partying with the PMP Hall of Famers. <laughs> Where do they have their their Hall of Fame banquet? Like on a, a subway platform at the Forty Second Street. New York City subway platform? Like, what? <laughs> you think other Big Ten uh, schools use this against Purdue in recruiting? <laughs> this is the guy. Minnesota's sending, like, rat paraphernalia on the fly. You know, trying to get that three-star corner from Gary. <laughs> they got rats. From Purdue. Go back to your community and make a difference by controlling the rats. There you go. They're always talking noble. about that. All right, we got to go. Thank you for listening. Yes. <laughs> uh, we're going to do a after the first round NFL draft podcast. So be ready for Friday morning. Uh, we'll yeah. sneak some rats in there, too. Ginger ale yeah. is, is going to be flowing. <laughs> yes. All right. Share our pod. Subscribe. Talk to you guys on Friday morning. It's no secret that our world has been interrupted. A World Interrupted is a daily podcast telling stories of coronavirus and its impact on the economy. We want to cover the issues in the macro, global economics, the stock market, and our political climate. We'll also cover the micro stories, maybe the ones you don't hear as much about in the news or the media. We hope you'll listen and be a part of the journey. So subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.